Welcome to Talking Gardens with me, Stephanie Mahan, editor of Gardens Illustrated. Charlie Harper is head gardener at Nepcastle Wall Garden, the experimental new project being created at the famous rewilding project in West Sussex. I went to Nep to talk to Charlie about his dream garden, his career to date, designing for wildlife and gardening for well-being. So Charlie, if you had to choose your first thing that would have to be included in your dream garden, what would that be? I think a dose of nostalgia, if that makes any sense. (laughs) I say that because I have a distinct memory of one of the first gardens I ever went to, which belonged to a great gardener called Jill Cowley, who sadly is no longer with us. She uh, died of cancer a few years ago. And it was a garden called Park Farm in North Essex. And my grandfather was a, a, is, well, was a, a, a garden photographer, Jerry Harper. And Jill was a great friend of, of his. And I used to get taken to these NGS days and sort of deposited. And I was probably only about five years old at the time. But it's one of those things that really sticks with you. The garden doesn't look as it did back then now. But I can still remember the sense of exploration, the sense of being completely immersed in a garden. I got quite lost in it. It was about only about two acres, but it was enough to get lost in. Uh, and, you know, maybe the nostalgia is, is so strong that I'm, I'm, I'm making it even more wonderful than it, than it was, even though it was perfectly wonderful in its own right. Um, but it's, it's one of the things that got me uh, uh, really into gardens in the first place. So elements of, of nostalgia, I think, is what I put in a dream garden. Sort of that feeling of that physicality of moving through spaces, brushing against the leaves, the, the mm. planting being over your head, I suppose, that mimicking that sense of being a child and, and having a little bit of discovery and mystery yeah. in a yeah, space. Yeah, yeah. It was quite it's quite classically designed as well. So elements, sort of cottage garden elements, which um, are, are very recognisable. What we do here at, at NEP is that there are, there are aspects of cottaginess, I guess, in, in some areas, but it's always good to have those recognisable aspects I think. And so a sense of exploration that's one thing. What else would you have to have in your fantasy garden? And a sense of adventure I think as well and this this takes me back to a garden that I I worked in for a very short period when I was a bit lost uh, called uh, Villa Bocca Negra on the Ligurian coast in Italy and the it it was the the garden of the Victorian plant collector Mm. Ellen Wilmot there's a wasp buzzing around the microphone. There's <laughs> <laughs> just nature everywhere yes, here Yes, you now. come to Net for the wild and you get it even when you're trying to record a podcast. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is Ellen Wilmot's garden of uh, Miss Wilmot's ghost, you know, the Eryngium mm. um, of, of fame. And it was a sheer cliff that goes down into the Mediterranean in, in northern Italy, just a few kilometres away from the French border. And it had such an epic plant collection there in Ellen Wilmot's time. And the new proprietors, a lady called uh, Ursula, who is the, she, she's a, a, actually she's a marine biologist, but also a very knowledgeable botanist. She is now tr- gardening it in the, in the same spirit. So she is, the, the, her plant collections are, are absolutely fascinating there. And it's that, that topography as well, much like with the sort of nostalgia element of, of Park Farm, that is quite exciting for me. I grew up in in North Essex, South Suffolk, where everything was very flat. Uh, And so I love a bit of topography in the garden. So, Charlie, you've chosen a a sense of exploration, as there was at Park Farm, and a sense of adventure, like there was at Villa Bocanegra. What else would you include in your fantasy garden? There, I mean, I can't 
at, at NEP, not say a, a sense of really pushing boundaries. Um, and I'm not going to talk all about NEP here, but one garden that I did visit, get, did get to visit earlier uh, this year, was Peter Korn's garden at Klinter in uh, the south of Sweden. And that is an amazing, ex- well, I, I would call it an experiment, where Peter, a very knowledgeable plants person, he took away the topsoil, basically made the site as harsh as he possibly could in order to grow many different types of plant. And that seems completely mad to, to most people. But as Peter says, that in the, uh, the, in the first few years where uh, the south of Sweden was in quite heavy drought, surrounding gardens were completely burnt to a crisp, whilst his very free-draining, very gritty garden where there was no topsoil um, was absolutely singing. And, you know, it's, it, it, what I like from a garden is to challenge what we think is the norm or, or, the, or the done thing. So I think that's very important. I mean, you are doing some very experimental stuff here at NEP as well. Um, in the, the wall garden, you know, um, I believe you're growing in the crushed up remains of an old farm building. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's been a, a year since you guys planted up those spaces and, yeah. and changed the topography and and everything. And is that, you know, invigorating for you to be part of something that's so new and so experimental? I'm sure it must be be quite challenging as well. Oh, it is. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've lain awake at night quite a lot, quite a lot. Um, it's, it's, um, because we're gardeners, we, we like to care for things and quite a, a big part of this garden at NEP is that really it mimics a functioning ecosystem. So we are prepared or meant to be prepared that some plants that we put in will fail because the conditions aren't right for it. Um, and other plants will fill that gap and other plants will seed into that gap. But as a gardener, we generally see death as a failure. And I still lay awake at night when it doesn't rain for four months and you've got all these new plants that we've put in the ground that you worry about. And and then, as you'll know and on your visit uh, this week, it hasn't stopped raining now for, for a few weeks. And so everything is drowning. And uh, But really, we've just got to try and relax and accept that that is the landscape that we have created and it will start to regulate itself. So it's a bit of a leap of faith and that's really what makes it so exciting. Mm. It's quite different, I assume, to any of the other places that you've worked, to the idea of a traditional English garden. Yes, it is. It's tradi- <laughs> It's a Victorian wall garden, so there is definitely that historic element which is recognisable within the garden. And before anyone sort of thinks, well, why did they get rid of the Victorian layout? That happened a while ago. So it doesn't bear any resemblance to uh, what it was originally. It was turfed over and used for weddings. Uh, It was used as a commercial nursery. uh, And then a very formal layout and and croquet lawn was put in more recently. There are still elements of traditional garden that are still present. But uh, what's what makes up the vast con- uh, you know, content of it is is quite quite different and quite challenging. Yeah. I mean, this whole idea of rewilding is obviously a really hot-button topic at the moment. Oh, yeah. And NEP is you didn't of- roll your eyes, did you? <laughs> and NEP is ground zero, of course, because of the, the wider wildlife park. Yeah. I think the idea of rewilding a garden is probably, uh, you know, most people would think of it, oh, okay, we're going to make it wildlife-friendly, and they want to know how to make their own garden more wildlife-friendly. But 
that that is essentially what you're trying to do, but on a very different kind of scale and a very different kind of yeah. way, let's say, than just letting the grass grow long. Yeah, exactly. I mean, rewilding is uh, is it, it's conservation, but different to more conventional conservation. You know, I, what I mean by that is that rather than uh, tailoring to the needs of an individual species, you are providing as much opportunity for wildlife as you possibly can in that space. So it is, it's certainly nature-friendly gardening, but with a very different mindset. And that's really, that's a key part of the, of the project. And you were aided in this by uh, Tom Stewart-Smith and James Hitchmore, I believe, were both heavily involved yeah. in sort of the, the creation and the plant selection on the project. Absolutely. My old <laughs> boss, uh, my old boss, Tom, Tom Stewart-Smith, masterminded the design of the garden. And uh, James Hitchmore collaborated with uh, planting design as well. So there are lots of great minds on this project. And, and there's a lot of thinking outside the box. And that, you know, these are the things that make it particularly exciting to be here at the moment. Yeah, well, speaking of people, you know, gardens uh, are for people. And if you had to have somebody involved in your fantasy or dream garden, you know, who would you have to design it? Who would you have as your head gardener? Well, I quite like to design it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. But and but I, I know, I think, who I'd want to be the head gardener. And that is someone that I would aspire to be as a head gardener. And it's I know that he's all, all over the magazine at the moment, but that's uh, Tom Coward from Gravetime Manor at the moment. Uh, he's a, he has a, a great approach. He's very very sensitive. He's very generous with his time. He's all for learning, but he's also a plant fanatic. And so he's he's just a great person to be around. So if you know Tom could leave Gravetime to manage the Charlie Harper Memorial Garden, then that, that would be great. <laughs> The Charlie Harper Fantasy Garden. Come, oh, come yeah, now. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what is it about uh, Tom's style at Gravetie and how he does things? What is it about it that you think, oh, I want to be like him when I grow up? <laughs> well, I think it's, um, you know, as I said, it's even I've I've been to Gravetie for, a, you know, a sort of one-to-one -one workshop with pruning apples because Tom is very generous with his time and he's good at explaining what he's doing and, um He's always thinking about, once again, pushing boundaries. And there are all these these sort of passion projects dotted around Gravetie, which he's working on at the moment. So it's, I think it's, and that's another thing that sort of ties in at NEP, is he's not trying to keep a garden static. It's, it's probably quite easy to think about doing that, is keeping Gravetie as William Robinson intended, but he is gardening in the spirit of that. I think it's it's that that I quite like Tom to tap into here mm. that sense of constantly pushing boundaries constantly learning yeah yeah and um is there's that aspect of things important to you that, that always upskilling always learning always moving forward yeah absolutely the world is in a bit of a turbulent state at the moment and it involve it needs people to think outside the box and move forward the garden can be such a crucial component of saving the planet in my view and so in your fantasy dream garden do you think that there would be an element of that maybe it would have to have some kind of not just experiment ground but also a place that you would always be able to keep learning yeah absolutely and learning would be another thing that i would want to be a big part of my dream garden um 
and a garden that's definitely worth uh, mentioning is one that I had the the honour of being involved with uh, in the in the setting up of is the the Orchard Project or the the Search Hill Project for Gardening Creativity and Health at uh, Search Hill, which is the home of landscape architect Tom Stuart Smith and his wife Sue Stuart Smith. It's um, uh, an old orchard site which Tom is now turning into uh, a place of a sort of which can be a base of base for charities. Uh, there's a nursery, a working nursery there, which was once used by Sunnyside Rural Trust, based in Hemel Hempstead, who are an amazing organisation. And they are uh, hopefully going back there once the, the new building work at the site is, is completed. There are veg plots and community allotments, and also what uh, Tom refers to as the plant library. And that is really a massive open living resource of plants. So it's set out in a, in a sort of meter grid system and each meter square has a different plant or sometimes a couple of different plants in it. And so anyone who is interested in plants, interested in garden design or really just needs, you know, needs to get away from their, from their busy lives and, and enjoy plants can come and literally work, walk themselves through this interactive library. So you can see how different you know, different species or different cultivars, for example, appear next to each other. You can see how they work with plants if you're if you're trying to brush up on your sort of garden design. You know, like the project at NEP, it's it's very early days, so its uses um, hopefully will expand into uh, more therapeutic uses. Obviously, Sue Stewart Smith, uh, writer of the, the World Garden Mind, the the connection between our our brains and the garden uh, is something that we are we know more and more to be incredibly important so uh, the idea of the project is to have more of a therapeutic use in the in the future so charlie you mentioned therapeutic gardening is is gardening for well-being and, and mental health is that something that's important to you that you think you would want to include in your dream garden yeah absolutely i mean gardens can save lives can save the planet can it can also save they can also save lives and i know that from first-hand experience i've been a, a depressive for many years now before i started training as an architect and in my training as an architect it just managed to get worse and worse and i think that was really just sitting sitting at a computer all days uh, all day and night and not really ever going outside and it got to the point where i was sort of really catatonically depressed it was quite bad I lived in Sweden for a bit and I can remember feeling just so lost and it was then that I started working for Tom and I started working at the Chelsea Physic Garden and it was this sudden using of my hands being outside it was something that suddenly seemed to make sense you know stuff just grows out of the ground how amazing is that that really just completely turned my life around and that's really why, why I'm here today, um, because, you know, even when I'm up against some pretty pretty fast-paced deadlines, it keeps me going. So I think definitely we people should be able to explore how gardens can do that for them. Yeah, we need greater access to green spaces and gardens for everybody yeah. in the country. I feel that way anyway. Exactly. And I, I'm not saying that depression can be 
depression and anxiety can be completely cured by by gardens you know i have a cocktail of things that i sort of bring into bring into play but gardens is sort of out there out there at the top and i think if you know by reading sue stewart smith's book we know that there is something inherent in in you know the human mind that particularly connects to plants green spaces the outdoors so the science there is is pretty conclusive do you think it's that sense of hope perhaps that you get like Absolutely. you say when you yeah. see something growing that wasn't there before yeah exactly you know it's not one of those really what is it you, one of these sort of feel-good slogans that you see that was attributed to someone or someone some other that says sort of says to plant a garden is to believe in tomorrow or something <laughs> like that it, it's kind of true that is true you know people that plant trees knowing that you know it's another another uh quote that i'm i'm completely butchering here but uh, <laughs> in it, trees in whose shades they know that they will never sit yeah you plant trees for your grandchildren exactly yeah <laughs> so we're we're nearly coming to the end of our talk but you get to have maybe one more big piece of your dream garden what else do you think apart from that sense of exploration and adventure um, experimentation like at Peter Coren's garden mm. and learning uh, from the plant library at Tom Stewart Smith's project and of course that wonderful sense of well-being just being around plants growing mm. is there anything else that you feel you couldn't be without in your fantasy garden oh I mean there are there are I just want to, you know, veg gardening is very important to me, but and I hope that conservation could be woven into all of the things that I've talked about. But I think a bit of plant nerdery would certainly feature, and this sort of goes back to my time at, at Kew, when I, where I was a student for three years. The thing that really springs to mind is is a building called the Davies Alpine House, and this this greenhouse is uh, climate controlled. And it allows us to grow plants that we wouldn't normally be able to grow. Um, quite challenging alpine plants that require uh, very specific temperatures and conditions. And I love plant records and I love uh, systematics, taxonomy, and all of all of that stuff. You nerd. I know. Thank you very much. <laughs> and it's difficult, really, especially at NEP, where we've got this wild garden. I still love to keep a database, which I keep updating uh, with sort of facts and observations and all sorts. So I worked in quite a few greenhouses at Kew, but I like alpine plants very much. And uh, they're quite, quite, some are quite tricky to grow. There is quite a large collection at Kew, of which you've got stuff which you won't find in the wild which is able to be kept going because of the conditions uh, that you give the plant when you're growing them. So I think there would have to be a controlled environment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Quite right. So, Charlie, we, we've talked about the fact that you, in your fantasy garden, would like to have the sense of exploration of Park Farm, the adventure of Villa Bocanegra. Uh, the experimentation of Peter Corrin's garden, the sense of learning from the plant library at Tom Stewart Smith's, and a bit of plant nerdery, maybe uh, a protected alpine house where you can nerd out with all of your interesting favourite plants. And then a veg patch as well. Oh, and we, a veg patch, of we, course. We don't have time to talk. <laughs> If you had to choose something that you would never let in the garden gate, that you would burn on the compost heap of ideas that you would just never, ever, ever consider having in your fantasy garden, what would that be? Uh, a closed mind. 
Am I allowed to have that one? Oh, go on. Explain why. <laughs> well, I think, especially here at NEP, I try and get people to think, to try and open their minds before they step inside the wall garden, because it's not generally what people would think of as a rewilded garden. It involves quite a lot of thinking outside the box. You, you've got to be prepared for that. You know, in order to advance, in order to, you know, to have all of these projects to, to, to try and increase biodiversity in the garden spaces that we've got, it involves quite a lot of thinking outside the box. And if you're too hard line about any particular issue, I think the only thing that you could really be hard, hard line about in the garden is probably the chemical cabinet. But other than that, there's no silver bullet. What we've done here at NEP is an experiment and a very exciting experiment at that, but other people's gardens might be a bit different. But as long as it gets you thinking about the spaces that you can provide, the opportunities you can provide for, for wildlife, then that's a sort of mission successful, I think. So if anyone comes in here and they think, well, this isn't what I was expecting, I'm not going to engage, then, you know, that's, that's sort of bad news for garden biodiversity as a whole, I think. And so you would say, no, not allowed in my garden. You must stay outside. Yeah, it's your I'm going to be. I'm going to be very hardline <laughs> about the hardliners. But what about the last three things? If you could just pick a few more things, quick fire that you would have to have included in your fantasy garden, what would they be? Orchard, dog, place to swim. <laughs> Is that good? Yeah, brilliant. I just can't believe there's a bee here now. <laughs> Like I said, you're a net now. There's nature just, it's just dripping in nature. <laughs> that was Charlie Harper, head gardener at Nep Castle Wool Garden in West Sussex. Thank you for listening to Talking Gardens, brought to you by the team behind Gardens Illustrated. You can find lots more gardening inspiration at gardensillustrated.com. See you next time.